0: Well, good morning, Hallows Church. It's uh, It's a privilege to be able to wrap up our retreat this morning like this and be able to dive into what we're going to be diving into over these next few moments. I hope your heart has been encouraged over our time. Throughout our time together, I hope you've been um, edified and built up in some discernible tangible ways over the course of this weekend. Let me invite you to grab your Bibles, turn them open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as you're finding your way to that portion of the scriptures, one of my favorite stories concerns a man uh, by the name of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a popular preacher, teacher, evangelist of sorts uh, many years ago now. And, and there was a town that wanted him to come and preach what they referred to as a revival. And revival is kind of an old school word for being spiritually woke, right? They just wanted their community and their town to kind of get woke spiritually. So they talked about revival back in the day. That's what they used. We might use different vernacular. But essentially, uh, they wanted this to happen. And they believed they needed D.L. Moody to come to make that happen. And so the town would clamoring, we got to get Moody, we got to get Moody, not Moody, but D.L. Moody, got to get D.L. Moody. And and finally, a young guy spoke up and said, no, we don't need D.L. Moody. Why is everybody saying that? It's not like he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. And in a sense, that young guy was right. But there was another sense, perhaps, where that young guy might have been wrong. Which is why an older, wiser disciple in the back of the the room kind of stood up and he approached the young man and he said, Son, you're right. D.L. Moody does not have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. However... The Holy Spirit does have a monopoly on D.L. Moody. And that's why we need to get him here. So my question for you this morning is, does the Holy Holy Spirit have a monopoly in your life? When it comes to gospel-saturated disciple-making, essentially that's what we're going after. We're trying to get so aware of who we are in Christ, and we're trying to abide so deeply in Christ that the Holy Spirit has a monopoly in our lives. And when He has a monopoly in our lives and has a monopoly in our church and we are pressing into one another, discipling each other, that's what we're moving towards. Leading each other, to leading others to find their lives monopolized by the presence of Christ in them, by the Holy Spirit's power among them. And so we're discipling people towards that end, wanting the Holy Spirit to get a monopoly on our lives and on our church and in people's lives all throughout our city. There was a guy by the name of Henry Varley who once said, the world is yet to see what God can do with and through and for and in a person who is fully and wholly consecrated to Him. That is, the person whose life is being monopolized by the Holy Spirit. The world is yet to see what God can do between such a man or with such a man or with such a woman, using them to magnify and multiply the gospel throughout wherever they are to the ends of the earth. Now I believe Varley's statement is a bit of an overstatement. I do think the world has seen God take ordinary men and ordinary women who are monopolized by the Holy Spirit and using them to do extraordinary things. I believe that's happened. I just don't believe it's happened enough. And I believe that God wants to do far more than we give Him credit for in our relationship with Him and when we're dreaming about the impact the gospel should make in our neighborhoods and in our city and around the world, that God wants to do far more in our lives and in our families and in our friendships. He wants to do far more than we perhaps give him credit for. And so we want to consider together whether or not the Holy Spirit is monopolizing our lives as we move forward together in our vision to see lives flourish in gospel-saturated relationships. And so this is why I would like to turn, you to turn your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning and look at a, a chapter that kind of presses uh, the, the desires of the Holy Spirit upon uh, the church and upon our lives because what you're going to find in this chapter, well, I'll, I'll read it for you and then you can look at your outline there in your booklet and your guide for the retreat and it'll provide kind of direction for where we're going. But let me first read the passage that we're going to be looking at. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 beginning in verse 1. I'm sorry, beginning of verse four. It says now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. there are different ministries, but the same Lord, and there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the spirit is given to each person for the common good to one is given a message of wisdom through the spirit to another a message of knowledge by the same spirit, to another, faith by the same spirit, to another, gifts of healings by the the one spirit, to another, the performing of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues, to another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he, the Holy Spirit, wills. For just as the body is one and has many parts and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. So that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So what I want you to consider this morning as we talk about this dynamic of involvement, of getting involved in our own participation in the life of the church and the vision, the mission and goal of the church as well as our efforts to lead others to get involved in what God is doing. That we would be monopolized by the Holy Spirit pressing into the activities of the Spirit in our lives and throughout our church and our city. And the one big idea that kind of flies out of this text is that the Holy Spirit manifests Himself by ministering in a variety of ways through a variety of people. That the Holy Spirit manifests Himself by ministering in a variety of ways through a variety of people. One of the things I love about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is egalitarian. That the Holy Spirit equally indwells men and women. He equally empowers men and women. He gifts men and women to serve the body of Christ in various ways seeking to show Himself up in and through their lives for the sake of other people's benefit, for the sake of other people's growth, for the sake of other people's blessing. The Holy Spirit is egalitarian in that sense. And He wants to manifest Himself in a variety of ways through a variety of people. I love the word used in verse 7, this idea of manifestation. That's essentially God going public. When the Holy Spirit manifests Himself in our lives and through our lives, that is God going public public showing himself to those around us in remarkable ways so when we talk about the Holy Spirit manifesting himself or God going public in our lives by gifting us and empowering us and strengthening us to do various things we're talking about God um, we're not talking about or one of the ways we want to kind of check how we think about ministry and getting involved is is thinking about all the things we want to do for Jesus or all the things that we want to do for God If that's kind of your mentality when you step into ministry and you hear the word involvement and these types of talks and you're thinking, oh, it's just another talk where we're going to be told what we need to do for God, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about all the things you need to do for Jesus and all the things you need to do for God. I'm talking about all the ways God wants to manifest himself in your life, that God wants to do things in you. There's joy in that. God wants to do things through you. There's satisfaction in that. So these aren't things that we're doing for God. These are things that God wants to do in and through us. That's what this language of manifestation means as God goes public in our lives showing himself strong. And there's a few ways in which he does this and the Holy Spirit manifests himself the way that he ministers in a variety of ways to a variety of people. I would say one that he does so through redeemed raw materials and here's what I mean by that. That the Holy Spirit wants to show up in our lives through redeemed raw materials. Meaning not everything that we do well in the body of Christ and not everything that we do well in our lives in this world with God is considered necessarily a spiritual gift. This is where we sometimes get a little confused about this topic where we're not a Christian, we become a Christian, and we're told, okay, God has given you whole spiritual gifts, but sometimes they, they look a lot similar to the things we were already good at before we met Jesus, and we're like, well, what do you, what do you make of that? Are those spiritual gifts? I thought it was a new thing that came into my life. Like, well, what is happening? I believe what is occurring there is, your, is that the Holy Spirit is wanting to manifest Himself through the redeemed raw materials of your life. Meaning that God had wired you a certain way, He's made you a certain way, He had a plan and a purpose when He knit you together in your mother's womb that He wanted to, and those raw materials, those talents, those competencies, those passions, those enjoyments, the experiences you will have in life, God redeems all of those raw materials and He steers them towards productive, God-honoring, other... um, body edifying ways. Here's what I mean by that. So when you're leading disciples and you're wanting to lead others into this joy and into this dynamic, you want to recognize that some of these redeemed raw raw materials concern your affinities. Meaning every person on the planet has certain affinities, things that we enjoy. And so when you're discipling others and you want to help them get involved, you want to help them discover, okay, what are your affinities? Asking questions like, what do you enjoy doing? chances are that God wants to take what you already enjoy doing, be it not sin, and rearrange it and redeem it for the good of other people. And so you think about affinities. You think about what you enjoy doing. And so there's a guy by the name of Eric Liddell. You've no doubt heard that name if you've been around the Hallows Church very long. And he was a, an Olympic runner back in the day. And and he talks about what the pleasure and the joy he had when he would use, the when the, he did what he enjoyed doing. And listen to what he says when he talks about his affinities. He says, you know, God made me fast, and when I run, I can fill his pleasure. That is when I'm doing the things that God has already skilled me at doing, then there's pleasure there. There's joy there. That's redeemed raw materials. And so we want to lead disciples into thinking along those terms. But it's not just affinities, it's also passions. It's those things in our lives that excite us. This would be, you know, barbecuing, smoking meat, right? You get into that, you start having people over, and that's passion. You're saying, okay, I'm a passionate about this, and hosting people, and feeding people, and and I love opening my home for this dynamic. Then. That's not necessarily a spiritual gift. That's God redeeming raw materials of your life, using you to be a benefit and a blessing to others. So you think about your passions. What excites you? What What do you enjoy doing? What excites you about life? Sports, videography, music, art. This is why Paul would say 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Let God redeem the raw materials of your life, whatever you're passionate about, whatever you're excited about, find ways to use those for the glory of God and the good of others in your life and in your circles of influence. But it's not just passions, it's also experiences. When you become a follower of Jesus and the gospel takes root in your life, God begins to redeem your experiences, that which shapes you, that which has contributed to the person you have become before meeting jesus and the person you will become after meeting jesus and the challenge about this dynamic is that these experiences come in all colors these are good bright colors and they are hard dark colors but we worship the kind of god who's capable of redeeming everything a God who can take all things, work all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Our best moments and our worst moments, God can redeem the raw materials of all of those and use those for productive, flourishing ends. This is what Paul is getting after in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14 when he reminds us of God being a God of comfort. And he says that God comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God is redeeming your experiences and you might have slid into the kingdom of God, slid into the church, God redeeming you from some tough stuff and and maybe up to this point you've been kind of quiet about it and you haven't gone public with your story and you're not sharing about the grace of God in your life and, and you're not being honest about all the things that God is redeeming and rearranging in your life and And I just want to encourage you that there are people sitting next to you that need to hear your story. They need to hear about God's grace in your life. They need to see the trophy of grace that God is turning you into as a result of his goodness, his kindness, his love, his providence as he rearranges the raw materials of our lives and he uses them for the good of others. But you might add another one, not just experiences, you might say talents, those things that we're good at, talents, skills. What are we good at? Uh, recognizing that we were, we all have competencies and talents. Every person on the planet is is talented by God in some discernible way, and. And we want to see God when we give our lives to Jesus, when we surrender ourselves to Him and the Holy Spirit begins to monopolize our lives, taking our talents, whatever they may be, and using them to bring glory to Him and bring joy and life and goodness to others. So we want to see God use our talents as well. So the Holy Spirit has this uncanny ability to redeem and rearrange all the raw materials of our lives. We want to be aware of that, especially when we're seeking to make disciples. And we're making disciples. We want to kind of grab their head and turn their attention to these things so that they become aware of the many types of ways God wants to use them and manifest His presence in their lives now. And so we move in that direction. A guy by the name of David Brooks would put it this way when he's talking about, or he's not talking about these themes, but he's talking about uh, the tendency commencement speakers have and when they're giving counsel to young people. This is what he says. He says commencement speakers are always telling young people to follow their passions. Be true to yourself. He says this is a vision of life that begins with self and ends with self. But people on the road to character growth or maturation, we would say those who are being spiritually woke, those who are on that road, do not find their vocations by asking what do I want from life. They ask what is life asking of me? And we might say what is God asking of me? How is he rearranging the raw materials of our lives? And then he goes on, how can I match my intrinsic talent with one of the world's deepest needs? How can I match the raw materials of my life and how God is redeeming them and rearranging them, telling a good story from them? How can I take those and match them with the world's deepest needs? A guy by the name of Frederick Buchner would put it this way, the place God calls you to and how he wants to use you and show up in your life is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deepest hunger meet. And you can answer that question in a myriad of ways. But I encourage you to answer that question. What is my deep gladness? How has God redeemed me? How is he rearranging the raw materials of my life so that I might meet the world's deepest hunger in and through the church, in and through the body of Christ, as you will see where the accent really falls in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit manifests Himself in a variety of ways through a variety of people. He does it through redeemed raw materials, but then the focus uh, more squarely on in this text is through what's called spiritual gifts. That he does manifest himself through spiritual gifts. If you look at verse 4, there's a word used there. You might want to circle it. The word gifts there is the word translated charismata. And it might literally translate grace gifts. Now understand when it comes to grace gifts or spiritual gifts, this is not a technical term referring only to the types of manifestations that are described in this chapter. The reason why I say that is because earlier in Romans chapter six verse twenty-three, God ref- or Paul refers to eternal life as charismata, as grace gift, as spiritual gift. So it's not a technical term per se, referring to a restricted amount of manifestations that are listed here in 1 Corinthians 12, or listed in Ephesians chapter 4, or listed in Romans chapter 12, some of the other passages that lead these. These are grace gifts, these are ways in which, or means through which God wants to show up and show out in our lives. You drop down to verse 6, there's another word used there, and it's the word activities. There are different activities. The word translated there is also, uh, could also be translated effects or workings or energy. It's the word uh, energima, which means it's where we get the word in energy from. These are spirit energies, if you will. It's the Holy Spirit showing himself up in and through our lives. Now, the reason why I want to, you to recognize that these aren't necessarily technical terms in this chapter is because I want to kind of change the paradigm by how some of you might be thinking about spiritual gifts. Some of you come to God and say, God, will you give me a gift? Give me a gift. Give me a gift. But I think the way this text is kind of unfolds and where the accent falls in this passage, we need to stop thinking about spiritual gifts as though they are something static. Meaning you become a Christian, God gives you a, whole, a spiritual gift, and that spiritual gift becomes a static part of your life for the rest of your life. That one spiritual gift or those two spiritual gifts, and those are the ones that you run with, those are the ones that you run in with the light, in the body of Christ. But spiritual gifts aren't in my mind to be considered something static. They are more dynamic. Meaning the emphasis when you take everything into consideration in chapter 12, chapters 13, chapter 14. The emphasis on spiritual gifts is more dynamic where you're coming to God and God doesn't just give you a gift, He gives you Himself. He gives you His Holy Spirit. And spiritual gifts then become real-time manifestations of the Spirit's presence in your life. In other words, Holy Spirit, help me love the people I am around. How do you want me to love them? And then the Holy Spirit will gift you in real-time moments to love people well, to build them up. This is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, we are told to pursue love and earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Pursuing love, meaning you've given me your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, this person needs, to, needs your love in this moment. Empower me, energize me, gift me to love them in a real-time manifestation, in a real-time, tangible kinds of ways. And what this does is it changes our interaction with the Holy Spirit so that all of a sudden we're not just talking about a a static gift that we're trying to employ on our own strength. We're talking about something dynamic that flows out of our abiding in Christ, that the Holy Spirit is in us. So we're talking to the Spirit. We're listening to the Spirit. We're relying upon the Spirit in the way, and we're hoping He will show up and show out in ways that will help me love other people well. So that we can love those around us in timely ways, in transformative ways. That we can love other people in truthful ways. It's a dynamic interaction with the Holy Spirit. And when He begins to monopolize our souls, we begin to see this happen. And we're not trying to analyze and overanalyze what is my spiritual gift. It's, are you walking in the Spirit? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Is He monopolizing your life? And then you stop focusing, trying to hone in a particular gift that's listed here. You're just asking, Holy Spirit, help me love people. Help me serve people. Help me bless people. Help me benefit the body of Christ in a tangible, discernible kind of way. And so you consider that, and there are ways that the Holy Spirit does do this. Ways in which He manifests Himself in and through our lives to each other. And and I would just kind of lump some of the ways that the Holy Spirit uh, does this in three categories. You can identify these gifts and you can define these gifts in different ways and it's good to do so, but we just want to make sure we're focusing on the Spirit and not the gift. I think that's where the church, in First the church of Corinth went wrong. They were so infatuated with the gifts that they lost sight of the Holy Spirit forgetting that the Holy Spirit was given to them to love people and that all of the manifestations of the Spirit are intended to produce love and to promote love in the body of Christ. So you step back and you consider some of the ways that the Holy Spirit can and does manifest Himself in real-time ways as we seek to love each other and love those around us. You might lump some of these as gifts related to what's called gospel proclamation meaning there's an emphasis in the gifts listed here that that are verbal that have to do with speaking words and using words well there's a sense in which we're asking the holy spirit will you empower me to use my words in a way that will love this person in tangible, transformative, and truthful kinds of ways. You see this as you read more closely in the passage. Gifts of proclamation, you have words of knowledge, you have words of wisdom, you have prophecy, tongues, interpretation, teaching, encouraging, exhorting. All of these require the use of words, All of these assume gospel proclamation and we're asking the Spirit to speak through us so that others may be built up, others may be loved, others may see the energy of the Holy Spirit at work, not just in our lives but for their lives as they're receiving and hearing the words that we're bringing to them. And the reason why I think I would lump all these together is because we want to be very careful in how the passage is arranged. If you notice uh, there's not a lot of conjunctions listed when he begins to list out these gifts of gospel proclamation. And those conjunctions, the lack of conjunctions, should keep us from drawing too fine a distinction between these words. Between what's a prophetic word, what's a wise word, what's a uh, revelatory word, which is the word Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6. The lack of conjunctions should keep us from kind of zeroing in and getting too obsessed with, okay, well, what kind of word is this? Well, this is Holy Spirit and give me whatever words are needed. Give me whatever words are needed to love people around me well so they might know that you love them and that you are for them and that you have something to say to them. And so I want to consider gifts of gospel proclamation. But then there's also gifts related to gospel perception. And by this, you see a couple of gifts listed in this text related to two words specifically, discernment and Faith. Now those aren't so much words that we're speaking, that's more about perception, that's more about how we're interpreting a situation or interpreting what God is doing in a given moment. It's gospel perception, it's insight, it's awareness. So a discernment then would be the ability to make a judgment, to discern, okay, well is what this person believing, is that a lie or is that a truth? Is that person, uh, is the person that whatever situation they're going in, Holy Spirit give me discernment, help me discern where's the enemy attacking them, where's the enemy going after them, where's the enemy discouraging them, Uh, help me discern what is Holy Spirit and what is unholy spirit as it relates to activities happening all around me. This is what discernment does and discernment begins to uh, have kind of a, a, um, a way for us to identify and to discern those types of things. Now when it comes to discernment, understand that there are other texts in the Scriptures where every believer, every disciple was called to be discerning. This is why I think these are more real-time manifestations. They're not just static gifts because elsewhere in 1 John, I believe, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, listen to this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit, discern the spirit to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So every believer is to be discerning. But there are moments when the Holy Spirit shows up particularly in one believer's life to give a heightened sense of discernment, a heightened sense of what is happening in a given situation, and then they can share that with others so that others can be on guard, others can be aware, others can know that God is looking after them by giving people a heightened sense of discernment. So there's a sense in which discernment should be practiced by all of us, by the Holy Spirit's power. But there are moments when the Holy Spirit manifests Himself in a more intense capacity as it relates to the, the activity of discernment. Now I do believe there are gifts, there are tendencies that the Holy Spirit has to manifest Himself in different disciples' lives. There are people who might have a proclivity to, of being discerning and they are particularly gifted in those ways. The Holy Spirit, for some mysterious reason, just sends to show up in that person's life in a more intense way more regularly and that, that happens, we, should, we thank that, we are aware of that and if that is you, we're grateful for God's grace in your life and, and we're moving in that direction together again, but we're asking for the Holy Spirit just to show up. But not just discernment there, you also have faith. Now this is an interesting one because the gift of faith is, is a gift again every disciple has. If you are a believer, you have this spiritual gift. But again, there are moments in our lives when we need the Holy Spirit to give a heightened awareness, a mysterious surge of confidence as it relates to what God is doing and what God is up to so that we can encourage others to keep going, keep believing, don't give up. God's going to come through and God blesses his people, particular people in the body with these types of manifestations so that we can all keep believing and we can all keep trusting So it's not like discernment and faith are only gifts for certain people. These these are gifts that God has given all of us, but they do come in heightened forms at different times as the body of Christ needs when the Holy Spirit begins to show up. So you have gifts related to gospel proclamation, gifts related to gospel perception, and I would say lastly, gifts related to gospel performance. And I mean by that gospel performance, meaning the gospel in action, when the gospel's power is being displayed in some tangible, visible, noticeable ways. These aren't necessarily words that we are speaking. These aren't necessarily insights that we are being given. These, these are power displays. These are the gospel being performed in real ways to help others feel and to sense that they are loved by God. And these come in a variety of forms listed there in that chapter. Words related to healings, miracles, helping or serving, administrating, giving, mercy, leadership. All of these are gifts related to gospel performance. It's when we do things, the Holy Spirit begins to do things through us to bring order to a situation. He begins to do things through us to bring relief to those who are hurting He begins to do things through us to bring healing to those who are sick and those who are suffering. He begins to manifest himself in mysterious, real-time kinds of ways to showing the gospel in action, gospel performance, so to speak. So bringing order, bringing relief, bringing healing, bringing all of that to fruition in the body of Christ. And so when you notice those words, there's a couple words, words, healings and miracles, just another thing to point out for your own awareness. Healings and miracles are both in the plural and they don't have a definite article. This is why I don't think it's just somebody has the gift of healing. I think we have the Holy Spirit and at times He heals people through our prayers and through our touches and He does those types of things. But there's no definite article. It's in the plural healings and miracles and He begins to manifest Himself in those types of ways. There are times in my ministry where I've seen the Holy Spirit do this. I've shared a story with you before. The young lady in our college ministry at Tulane University in New Orleans who had ovarian cancer, giving a couple of weeks to to live. And then disciples in our ministry rallied around her one night, laid hands upon her, prayed uh, for her healing, asking God to show himself strong on her behalf. And She goes to the doctor the next day or maybe two days later and the doctor couldn't find a single trace of ovarian cancer. There was nothing in her body. And she went from there and she was already kind of en route to studying that because her mom had died of a similar condition and and here God had healed her and she she felt loved by God and she had uh, became a follower of Jesus and I believe I heard later that her doctor after seeing that happen, he too came to trust in the Savior and he too came to believe the gospel. But I also know there are stories that don't end quite like that in this world. Like a pastor uh, I'm aware of whose daughter died of cancer And she was five years old at the time and the whole church was praying for her healing aggressively, passionately, consistently. She wasn't healed in that moment. She wasn't healed in this life and in the ways that the body expected. But what does that, so what does that mean? Well, I think that's where we come to a humble trust and a humble faith in God's sovereign grace. And that He's always doing a myriad of things at the same time and there's reasons for real-time healing, there's reasons for that healing not being brought in this life. Whatever the case may be, Jesus is always Lord. And you know you're maturing in your faith and you know we're maturing as a body of Christ when we're able to say Jesus is Lord regardless of how the Holy Spirit may or may not manifest Himself in a particular situation or circumstance or in response to a particular prayer. Now that doesn't mean we don't come to God like children asking and begging and pleading for whatever it is that we want and whatever it is we need in a given moment. We do that but we do recognize that we are children, He is Father. We are children, He knows best. And He's going to answer our prayers and He's going to manifest Himself in and through our lives and in our midst to always accomplish the greatest ends and the greatest purposes in the hearts and the lives of His people. And so our role in this is to approach Him as children Ask, beg, plead, Holy Spirit, show up, Holy Spirit, show out, Holy Spirit, bring healing, bring healing, bring healing. Ultimately, we're going to trust God with the results in all of those dynamics. And so you have got gifts related to gospel performance when the Holy Spirit shows up and shows out in our lives and in our church. Now, here's where I really want us to kind of focus in on this morning, and that is that all of the Holy Spirits, regardless of how the Holy Spirit is manifesting himself in and through your life whether it's through your redeemed raw materials or whether it's through real-time spiritual gifts. All of the Holy Spirit's manifestations are important. They're all important. You may have read through that list or heard administration, healings. I want healings, administration. That didn't seem as exciting. All of them are important. We need order, right? And stuff like this can't happen without the Holy Spirit showing her uh, using Marianne and, and her redeemed raw materials as well as her spiritual gifts to bring this about so that we can have order and be able to be together and enjoy group activities like this. It's, this these, all of them are important. Don't shortchange the ways that the Holy Spirit wants to show up and show out in your life. And so what that means is, is that you and I must avoid self-deprecation. We have to avoid self-deprecation so that we get to the point where we're saying they don't need me. They don't need me, I'm not as important I'm dispensable. If you look at verse 15 this is exactly what Paul is getting after there. If the foot should say because I am not a hand I don't belong to the body it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say because I am not an eye I don't belong to the body it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye where would the hearing be? In other words, there's no appendix in the body of Christ. I don't know what the appendix does. I'm tired it doesn't do much nowadays. But but there's nothing like that in the body of Christ today. We cannot engage in self-deprecation saying they don't need me because the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to be doing the cool stuff like I see other people doing and other things happening. That's not what we say at all. We avoid self-deprecation. But we also avoid self-exaltation. We avoid self-exaltation that says I don't need them. There's this sense in which we say they don't need me, but then there's a temptation to say we don't need them, and we just want to detach ourselves from the body, but you know a severed hand is useless. Who is a severed hand helping? A severed hand's not doing anything. And so you, when you say, I don't need them, and you want to isolate and detach yourself from the body, you become useless. You become useless in the kingdom of God when you are detached from the body of Christ there's a reason why Paul is pressuring, not pressuring, there's a reason why Paul is prioritizing the imagery of the body here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 saying every part matters, every person has a role to play. The Holy Spirit is is equally indwelling all of God's people and He's equally wants to empower us in different ways but in equally valuable ways because all of the Holy Spirit's manifestations are important. You know, look down to verse 21 just to show you where this comes from. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. That's self-exaltation. I don't need the other parts of the body, so I'm going to detach myself. You know, it makes no sense for you and I to ask God to move or for you to ask God to move through you if you are not intimately involved in the life of the church. It makes no sense for you to ask God to do things through you if you're not intimately involved in the life of the church. And the reason for that is this. God's power resides in the body, not in the part. Do you understand the difference? God's power resides in the body, not in the part. Again, this is why a severed hand is useless. God's power is with his people. God's power is with his church. God's power is in the body. And so if we say we don't need others, we don't need them, then we are severing ourselves from our power source. We're severing ourselves from the very context in which the Holy Spirit most keenly and is most excited about manifesting himself and showing himself up and out in our lives and in our ministries to one another. So all of the Holy Spirit's manifestations are important. All of the Holy Spirit's manifestations are also interdependent. They are interdependent meaning Paul employs the metaphor of the body and we all need each other. That's the predominant idea and I won't read it again but in verses 12 through 26 that's what Paul is saying. All of the Holy Spirit's manifestations are interdependent. This means that every member matters to the health of the body. Every member matters to the health of the body. And it also means that each member is supported and safeguarded by the body. That we need each other. We need Christ in each other. We need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to manifest himself to me through you. My life will suffer without that. We need each other and all the manifestations are interdependent. There are things in me that are lacking that I do not have that I need from the Holy Spirit's presence in you. And so you slide into the body, you get involved recognizing that you matter to the health of the body. And as you recognize that you matter to the health of the body, you slide into the body and you find safeguard and support there so that you don't burn out you know, trying to do things with the Lord and trying to walk with Jesus and you're, you're serving in all these ways. You're, you're hoping the Holy Spirit shows up and all the, you are being supported and encouraged and safeguarded by the other members as the Holy Spirit is ministering to you through them. Do you see how this kind of flows together? All of the Holy Spirit's manifestations are interdependent. In other words, we need Christ in you. I need Christ in you. You need Christ in each other. And so when we talk about getting involved and leading others to get involved, we're pressing into that dynamic, into that culture, because without you, we're not going to flourish. And without us, you're not going to flourish. We need each other because the Holy Spirit manifests himself in a variety of ways through a variety of people, and he does so most keenly in the life of the body, in the local church. And so if you're not yet involved, let me encourage you to get involved. If you're not yet participating in some discernible way in the life of the church, let me encourage you to start start participating. It's been a long weekend. Kind of nudge you along in that direction. Find a ministry team that, that corresponds with your passions and your raw materials that God wants to redeem in you. Step into a missional community and pray for the Holy Spirit to Gift you to love and to serve those in that MC in ways that will be timely and truthful and transformative for them. Step into a DNA, DNA dynamic and begin to ask the Holy Spirit to give you words to share with those in your group that would build them up and that would encourage them and instruct them and edify them. Get into those contexts so that you can hear words yourself, so that you can see and be ministered to by the Holy Spirit as well. Bottom line, we need Christ in you. We need Christ and you need Christ in us. And so we want to move into the future with this awareness and with an aggressive pursuit of this. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Because there we are commanded to pursue love and to desire spiritual gifts. He's saying your, your, your lack of pursuing love and your lack of wanting the Holy Spirit to show up is, a, is disobedience. He's saying I want you to pursue, I want you to aggressively go after love and eagerly desire, some translations say, e eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit or the Spirit's manifestations. Go after them, seek them, pursue them, take risks in your discipleship with them. Some of you, is going to it may take some time for you to get used to the Holy Spirit showing up and showing out in your life because you might be thinking, well, I used to think that way and now I'm trying to think this way or I want to say this but this might, might not be the right thing to say at this time and you might overanalyze and you become paralyzed by an what is it paralysis by analysis and you begin to uh, but understand there's a lot of freedom in the body of Christ. There's a lot of grace given in this. These are grace gifts. They're called grace gifts for a reason. So don't be afraid of failure, don't be afraid of stepping in it. Trust the Holy Spirit's presence in your life and trust the Holy Spirit's desire to love the people around you well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you give us grace to consider these truths and would you give us grace to pursue love and to earnestly desire your manifestations, to earnestly desire ways in which you want to show yourself in and through our lives to each other, in and through our lives to the cities in which we live. God, would you do a remarkable work to to take us deeper in our discipleship, deeper in our sensitivity of your presence, deeper in our submission to your presence, deeper in our um, ability to love one another and to be used by you to benefit the body of Christ and to benefit others around us. God, would you please work that and do that all in Jesus' name. Amen.